I'm Lisa Stone, and you are listening to Season 8 of Parenting Aces. Welcome to the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone. Ken Giovara is one of those rare human beings who actually has found incredible success collegiately in two different sports, both basketball and tennis. And you'll hear him talk a little bit about that once we get into the podcast. But what he's doing now is running a tennis academy down in San Diego, California. He's coaching some top-level juniors who are trying their hand both at the junior level and at the entry-level pro events on the 15,000s, the 25,000s. And he travels the world and talks to players at all levels of the game and has some really interesting insights to share with us about what's happening with college tennis, what's happening with the World Tennis Tour and how it's impacting these players. And also we talk about navigating through the development pathway and the tournament structure as it's set up and what the coach's role is in all of that. So I think you're going to find this, this uh, episode very interesting. Ken's, you know, he doesn't mince words. He's very outspoken and has very strong feelings about what's working and what's not working. And I think we all have a lot to learn by listening to him this week. Also, I wanted to thank all of you who have become members of ParentingAces.com, whether you've activated your free membership or you've gone with one of the paid options. And I hope you haven't been too frustrated with all of the bugs that we've been trying to work out as we implement this new system. It has been a bit crazy, but I do appreciate your patience and your support as we kind of transition into phase next of Parenting Aces. So thank all of you for that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just go to ParentingAces.com and you'll see information on our memberships and what they mean and what you get for uh, the different levels. So again, thank you to those of you who have signed up. And for those of you on the fence, I hope we can convince you to become a member too. The more the merrier. All right. Now it's time for my conversation with Ken Giovara. I want you to sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Parenting Aces. Ken Giovara, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. My pleasure. Happy to be here. So let's start by having you give the audience a little bit of information on your life in tennis, your background in the sport. Well, I I grew up in Connecticut and uh, being in Connecticut, I only played tennis pretty much three months of the year and played all the other sports. In uh, 1984, I actually led the state of Connecticut in scoring in basketball. and. was always a high level, high ranked junior player in the section of New England, but we just played during the summer. Uh, I went to play basketball at Northeastern University, which was led by, of course, Reggie Lewis. Uh, Coach was Jim Calhoun, who went to UConn and won some national championships. So it was a pretty good program. We were at one point 11 in the country. Uh, After two years there, I started playing tennis again. I transferred to the University of Hartford on a tennis scholarship. I played uh, number one for my last two and a half years of uh, college. And after that, I tried to play some satellites for a while. 
probably for about uh, a year, year and a half. And then uh, I, I did this with my brother. My brother was up to about 700 in the world. He was uh, player of the decade in the Big South Conference in uh, 1980 to the 90s. So uh, the family played a lot of tennis. But again, we just we just played pretty much three months a year. So after uh, uh, graduating college and playing the pro tour, I moved out to San Diego and I opened up a, a tennis academy. How come you quit playing professionally? Did you get injured or what happened there? Uh, it was just, it was at that point to, uh, when I stopped playing tennis, when I was playing junior tennis, everyone had a wood racket and was like pushing their brains out. And I was very good, very athletic at running back and forth and getting the ball over the net with topspin. I played with a Western grip. Every single coach I had at that time tried to change it. Uh, so I was good at running down balls and keeping the ball in play. And then when I took those three years off to just dedicate myself to basketball and I came back to tennis, it was like Agassi hit the scene and, and, and the pace of the ball and the pace of the, the hit went up so much in terms of uh, pace and speed that I was just so far behind. I, 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 I just could not catch up to that level after taking that much time off and even grinding as hard as I try to grind. It was just, it was just too tough for me to, to make it at that level playing my style after gotcha. taking those three years off. Yeah. It was, it was too hard. Yeah. The game just changed and, and yeah, I mean, that's crazy. Um, and so now you have an academy in San Diego, you work with junior players, college players, college bound junior players, <laughs> kind of the whole range. Right. Um, right. and you, I mean, you're working with your niece who's doing very well. Um, you're traveling all over the place with her. And so kind of how we got to talking to one another is all that's going on in the world of college tennis, especially with the new ITF world tennis tour and what that's doing to college players, how it's impacting who can even have an opportunity to play in college. So why don't you give the audience a little bit of information on what you're seeing out there in the world of tennis. Okay. Well, first off, uh, yeah, we have a, a fairly big academy here. A lot, a lot of great players. Like you said, I, I work with my niece, Haley Giovara, who I think on tennis recruiting as a senior, she's 11 in the country right now. Uh, blue chip going to go to Cal. Uh, we're playing a lot of the 25,000s and, and uh, 60,000s and, and 15,000s and she got her first top 300 WTA win a couple weeks ago in Rancho Santa Fe. Um, Worked with Brandon Nakashima, who was one of the best juniors in the world. So our, our program is really, really good, really solid, really competitive. But navigating through like what you're talking about, it's, it's a very complex and, and tough to sometimes figure out how the best way to go through that part of it. Not the forehands, not the backhands, not the footwork, not the tactics, just the whole other part of it of navigating a kid through it properly. I mean, just take Haley. When she was a freshman, you know, she went to traditional high school, played two other sports. When she was a freshman, she was probably 400 on tennis recruiting. 
but she wanted to go to four years high school and, and was going to develop later just for the game we were building. And then take a kid like Brandon, he was number one in every age group he played and all the higher age groups. So it could be done a multiple in multiple ways, but everyone has to navigate through this other part of the sport, which is people get caught up and, and can't find their, the forest through the trees. They, they just can't figure it out. So, I mean, just basically with the, with the college thing, I, and the, and we started talking about why so many international players, why aren't there so many American players and just getting right into it. Uh, you know, the, the sport is becoming the collegiate sport division one is becoming way more international. I think, uh, the facts, the, uh, last year, the numbers were in the top 25 women in the country. There were 19 international players and six Americans. And for the men, there were 18 international players and, uh, seven Americans. So I, I really started looking into this and, and doing some research and, Basically, there, there are two rules that the NCAA has in terms of uh, eligibility requirements that, that kind of contradict, contradict themselves and are way more beneficial to an international student, international player. Uh, the first one is once you enter high school, you have four years to graduate high school. And then after that, a tennis player can only take six months off after graduation, every other sport is one year in, in Division I uh, athletics. Hockey, I believe, is two years. But, you know, that gives a kid a chance to mature, a chance to uh, grow up, a chance to make decisions. Uh, if you graduate early, what have you. But the six-month rule is if you play tournaments after those six months, you lose eligibility. You lose Mat college matches that you could play, even if you are still a junior and only playing junior tournaments, not even professional tournaments. So that six month rule is is strict and and this was changed probably like six or seven years ago to stop international more international players coming, and it was a year. But what happened was the exact opposite happened. Now uh, tennis men's and women's is the, has the highest international uh, athletes that play in, in any of the sports. And, and the percentage keeps increasing every year where the uh, amount of international players just, just goes up and up. So I mean, the second part. Well, I was going to say, you can go to a division one college match now between two different schools and there may not be a single American player on the court. That is, a hundred percent correct. Yeah. And, and believe me, you can say the American system, you can say the American coaches, you can say all these things that, that we hear, which might be true, might not. But the, the fact of the matter is when, when I was doing my research and putting the numbers together, cause I was really perplexed by this was that the international kids are coming in a year and three months older on average than the American kid for the, for the men, uh, for the women and a year and four months older for the men. So the second part of the, the second rule for the NCAA eligibility is you have to enter your freshman year mm-hmm. before you turn 20 years old. So 
if you're an American, normal American kid and you start high school at 14, you're going to be out of high school at 17 and a half, 18, 18 and a half. There's, even if you take the six months, you can't get to 20. Even if right. you're homeschooled or whatever, you just, you just can't do that by the numbers. So the international kids who are going homeschool and, and whatever, and you can play around with the, the graduation uh, date and everything, they come in right before they turn 20 after exhausting their resources and their potential on the pro tour and if they're going to make it or not. So that w- that is clearly the reason why the influx of international kids are, are overwhelming the division one system and taking the majority of scholarships. It's, it's not a level playing field for the American kids. I mean, at my Academy, if I see a kid who's going to be able to play division one tennis, I'm recommending to the parents that that kid should probably stay back in eighth grade before entering high school if they want a legitimate shot and not have their uh, scholarship taken away. You know, it's, it's that it's, it's not even a, an ability thing. If you can come in a year and three or four months older at that in, in particularly tennis, because that's when you're at, you can go on the pro tour and do this. You can't do this in basketball or football or, or any other sport, but, in tennis, those are professional playing years, like literally professional playing years. And you can't fault the college coaches if they have a, a 19 and a half year old international kid who's been grinding at 15,000 and 25,000 and a USD 17, USDA 17 year old kid who's just been playing, you know, USTA level ones or even very high ranked, they're going to go with the, the older kid mm-hmm. who has more experience every single time. I mean, you got to be a pretty much a top, top American on your tennis recruiting to, to grab one of those coveted full rides that, that the international kids are taking who are older. And, and that's the thing I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the, the coaching, the players. Can some people get through? I'm just saying this rule really doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, tennis so does the six... Does the six months only apply to American players? Oh, no. It, it's supposed to apply to international players. But when these kids go homeschool internationally, they have a lot of wiggle room with uh, when they start, when they graduate. Uh, it, the systems are a little different. And some countries uh, also start high school later. So they're coming out later anyway. So, so let's, let's kind of make up an example here. So if you've got, let's say a kid in uh, Serbia for lack of a better country. Okay. So you've got a kid in Serbia who knows that she wants to come to the States to play college tennis. So she may not document the start of her high school years until she's maybe 15 and a half, 16, 16 and a half. So that she goes four years, she comes out and she's 19 or 20. Then she's got an additional six months to go out and play professionally and still be eligible to come into a U.S. university as a true freshman. Exactly. A hundred percent. Okay. The number one girl in the country right now came in at 19 and a, and a half, I believe. 
almost almost 20. I believe her birthday was like in April or maybe yeah, like like Aprilish. But she came in and and she, I mean, as a freshman, she's she's a really good player. Uh, the number one college girl you're talking about. Yes, correct. She, okay. she came in at uh, so she'll graduate college at like 23 and like three months. And that's pretty much impossible for any American under any circumstance to graduate at that age under this, under these rules. If you go four years straight. Right. Within four years. Right. 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 So what impact is this having? I mean, you go all over the world, you talk to players all over the world. What are you hearing out there from the international players and the American players? Well, it, 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 when you talk to uh, the international players, well, first off, uh, within the last year, I traveled to uh, like nine 15,000, five 25,000, one 100,000, two USTA level ones, uh, a couple 60,000 with my players. So I'm really out there talking to the American players, the American parents, the American coaches, the international players international parents and uh, international coaches i'm right this is right in my wheelhouse where i have been for the past two years and the international kids they just think it's a a complete joke they think it's 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 ridiculous it's it's they get to stay out there and play way longer and and because there's so many more of those level tournaments in those countries and around those countries, they have so much more access to playing professional tennis earlier and, and playing higher level competition. So when you said earlier, like what if an international kid with a idea of wants to play division one tennis there, these people, these kids, coaches, parents, they're really at, at 16, 17. It's I'm really going to try the pro tour for four years, three years, and see if I can make it. And if not, I'm going to take a Division One scholarship to a U.S. school and get a and get a degree and play college tennis. Wow! So the planning yeah. starts pretty young. Yeah, no, it's just that's just the way it is. That's just the way it's set up. That's that's just it. I mean, for an American kid, it's it's pretty tough for an American kid. If you're going to play high, high level tennis, college or professional or, or really try it and uh, not be homeschooled to go to tra- four year traditional high school, the the better players are going to go homeschool where they can play more and compete with these with these international kids. Uh, and it's it's becoming more the norm to go homeschool than than traditional school primary not I, I wouldn't say because of the six month rule, but that has a huge impact on on the decision too because you don't have any time. Even our top Americans, you take uh, like our 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 better American girls, like say they graduate high school and they're starting to do well on the pro tour. Say they're like three hundred, four hundred and, and they're starting to make there's there's some girls out there who are actually doing it and doing a fantastic job at it. And for for the NCAA to say, you know what? Under our rules, you only have six months after you graduate to to give it a re- a legitimate shot. I don't think it's even fair for our, for those players who who definitely would get a 
D1 scholarship anyway, anywhere. But to say to those, those players, you only have six months to really give it a shot, you know, and, and you're only 17, 18 at that age, instead of a year or two years, like the, like the international kids. I don't think it's fair to our, our top, top American players either. That, that's just another trickle down effect from this rule that it's just, it's not fair. Yeah, they're having to make a decision at a much younger age about what to do, basically, that's going to impact the rest of their lives. Exactly. Hmm. Interesting. So, I mean, the NCAA changes rules all the time, right? I haven't heard any talk about this rule being modified. Have you heard anything? I, I never, I never hear anything. I, I have approached the ITA. I, I try to talk to them. It's just, I just, you just get stonewalled. The NCAA, it's really tough to talk to them about this rule. Right. Uh, the the USDA people in our development program, I talk to them and, and they pretty much agree and, and, and trying to get things done, but nothing has been done. It's, it's also tough for a freshman just to take those six months off as a going into a freshman year in American, because then you're coming into the spring season and the fall has already been played. The lineup has pretty much been set. Uh, it's tough for a freshman American to go in after take six months and go in just socially, academically. Uh, and, and as, as on the team also, you know, right. Right. And, because and, yeah, because the, the relationships are formed, the, you know, you, you often, if you start in January, you often get thrown into a housing situation that may not be ideal um, because you just have to take what's available. Um, you don't have priority with registering for classes because your status as an academic is lower than those who started in the fall. I mean, there are all sorts of issues with that. And yeah, it does, I mean, you know, talking with you about this, it, it seems to make so much more sense for there to, to be a one year grace period instead of forcing these kids to start mid year with, with their university. Yeah. No one, no one is going to start mid year and say, okay, I'm just going to pro, try pro tennis for six months and see what happens and then go in to school in, in January. It's just, They'll say, you know what, forget it. I'm just going to go go now in September. It, it makes much more sense for all the reasons that you just mentioned. So the, the better, the not, not so much the top, top, but a lot of the right below that tier of the top, top, they're just going to go as, as a freshman and when they're 17 and a half or, or 18, when, whenever they graduate high school, not even use the six months, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it's interesting because I know, you know, for the – for the top, top kids um, in the past, and I don't know if this is still the case, but in the, in the recent past, you know, USTA has really gone after those kids to turn pro, to skip college and to turn pro. Um, and, and, you know, USTA's job is, you know, as they see it, at least at player development is, is to get more Americans in the second week of the U S open. So, the more kids they have turning pro, the bigger the pot they have to to develop. And, you know, hopefully somebody's going to break out and do really well. So, I mean, I get that. Um, so it seems to me that 
USTA might not be so interested in changing this rule, that it really helps these kids make that decision if it's a decision of turning pro right out of high school or having to start university halfway through the first year. Right. I don't know. Well, it's really, it's a dicey, it's a tough thing. Like, like, you know, I know the girls who are 17, 18, who are just all in saying I'm turning pro and this is my decision. And, you know, I see them all every week out there. And then you see the ones who are, well, I don't know. I'm going to give this a try, see what happens and then make my decision when, when my eligibility runs out and I, I have to make a decision. You, you, you see it. I mean, just from my niece's perspective, like she was totally a late bloomer. You know, she wasn't on the, the USTA's radar as a 12, 12 and under, 14 or 16 and under, you know, whatever. But she's a late bloomer and she could, she's someone who could really benefit from, from that year. And I, I'm not even sure the year is the solution because then it could still be, the numbers could still be fudged around. I think. Like I've given this some thought, and I think that the solution is that if tennis is, you know, juniors, whatever, is an age-based sport, I think the NCAA should just make it a age-based decision when your mm-hmm. eligibility runs out. If you're 20 years before your 20th birthday, you have to be enrolled in college. This way, it's that's it. That levels the playing field for everyone. There's no ambiguity. There, there's no speculation. There's no getting around this, getting around that. It's it's you take away the six month rule or the year rule and you just make it by the time you're whatever, 19 or 20, you have to be enrolled in college. And, and, and that's the rule that that takes away everything. And then at least everyone's on the same playing field, you know, interesting. And, and I think that's that's the only way to go, because this is just not fair. It's just. You can spin it any way you want, but just the age thing, it's just not fair for the American kids. It it really Mm -hmm. isn't. Mm -hmm. And so how is the new ITF World Tennis Tour impacting all of this? Because now it's, let's say the kid does take the six months and they're trying to get into events. They're really having a hard time getting into events. Yeah. The, (laughs) the, the six, the the ITF, the World Tour, in my opinion, and and I'm out there at this level and the and the level above the 25s, the 60s. It, I just cannot believe what is going on. It's it's everyone's talking about the uh, the shorter, the shortened qualifying spots, which is a a gigantic a gigantic deal. I mean, you you take away all those qualifying spots. And, uh, uh, obviously fewer people are going to have the opportunity to play. You're talking but about the draw sizes, the smaller draw sizes the, the, for quality. The qualifying draw sizes. Yeah. They, they okay. knocked them down. Like right. last year you go to a 15 and be a 64. Everyone would get in, you know, to the qualities, which was mm-hmm. great. Cause you had no points. You can say, okay, I'm going here. I'm going to Israel. I'm going to Greece. I'm going to, to Sweden and I'm getting in. I, I know I'm getting in. Okay. Now it's if you have no if you don't have any uh, world tour points or WTA points, it's it's really tough to break through. It's 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 tough to get to get into these tournaments. Uh, but with that being said, and that's what everyone's harping on the the draw size. For me, what they did with the rankings last year, and and what they did was they took away 
all ATP or WTA points for the women, for the WTA points for the women that were earned at 15,000 and for the men, 15 and 25. So what that did for all those men and women who are out there, her grinding, uh, I had one player who had 12 WTA singles points, but they're all at 15,000. So she was about uh, 980 on the WTA tour uh, computer. They take those points away. And then players who only had three WTA points, but they earned them at a 25,000, suddenly jumped to 700 in the world without playing a match or, or anything. So if you earned all your points at 15,000 or the majority of your points, you got crushed. And those are the people who are just like, don't know what to do. The, so the, the WTA rule is that you have to earn at least one WTA point in three different tournaments or 10 points at one tournament to be on the WTA computer. So all those players who were on the, the computer last year from earning their points at 15s, they got totally wiped off and had a, and, and pretty much you have to start over, but these girls can't get into the 25s anymore. Right. So all the girls who were ranked like 1,200 last year, but had three WTA points because they got them at a uh, 25K, they don't, you don't even have to win a match. If you're in the main draw of a, a 25K, you get automatically get one WTA point. So they could have got wild cards or what have you. And if they were 1,200 and had three points, they jumped to 850 now on the WTA tour. So those players are all ahead on the acceptance list. And the acceptance list is, is gold. That's how you get into these tournaments. So what's happening, in, uh, getting back to the point of, of who's getting in and how it's impacting, is that the girls who are, say, like 24 years old, 25 years old, 26 years old, 27, 28, who have been out there on the tour for a while and, and did have some WTA points last year, they're getting richer because now all the other players were taken out. So they jumped up 300, 400 spots on the computer and can get into the 25 and keep getting points. So it's the girls and boys who are just coming out of college who have to start from zero. There's no way you're going to get into a 25 without, without a ranking. It, it, it'd be pretty, pretty tough. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to go try to get a world tour ranking to get into the 25s. So that for me is like the, the craziest part of the, the whole deal. The trying to navigate yourself through the pathway of what has to be done. It, it, it's really difficult in terms of how these players got a magical bump, how these players were taken out. And if you went to the men's 15,000 or a men's 25,000 last year or a women's 15,000, it's the same players who are playing the higher level tournaments who are playing the, the 15s or 25s for the men and the 15s for the women. It was the same pool of players. It wasn't like a different pool of players. And if you were ranked, you know, higher than 800, you couldn't play 15,000. Everyone was playing every tournament, the 15s and the 25s. Do you, under, do you know what I'm saying? Right, right. So it's like, if you just were able to get into a 25 and, and get a point or get your points, then that was a great position to be in. I mean, I had one player who ended up after the points transferred, she was like 300 
on the world tour ranking and she couldn't get into a tournament at 25 uh, until March of this year. So it was like, you're on a total holding. It's like, you're going backwards. Right. And now the players are trying to determine, like it's a mess out there. Now the players are trying to determine, determine, should I go and play 15,000 and try to get into the top 120, 150 of the world tour rankings, which will get me into a 25, which the numbers are, are lower. Like you have to be top, at least top 100 to get into the one of those five open spots that they give you. Or do I just keep trying to get into these 25s? It's, it's no one really knows what to do and, and how the decisions are made. And it's just, it's, it's a total mess out there. So, I mean, this is all paralleling what's going on with the proposed USTA junior comp structure where there are going to be two rankings and you have to make a decision about which ranking list you're going to focus on because you can't focus on both. And are you going to gamble and try and be at the top of the real ranking list? Or are you going to gamble and play in your section and hope that you get to the top of that, that kind of second level ranking list, which is still being called an NSL, but it's based on your sectional play and your national play where the real NSL is based only on national play. I mean, it's so confusing and it sounds like what's going on there and what's going on with the world tennis tour all starts with the fact that there's two rankings that you have to figure out how to navigate. Uh, yes. The navigating through the, uh, the USTA system, uh, it, it's a little bit different for me. I think the priority when you're, when I have a kid who's, who's 12, 10, 12, 14, whatever, like at our academy, we really focus on development, technical development, uh, and, and what's going to be best for the kid when they're 17, 18 down the road. And I've lost a lot of kids because they're not winning in the 12s or, or, or 14s as much as uh, other places. But at that age, we, we really, you really got to focus on the development, developmental side of, of, of what's happening with, with the kids. And navigating the part that you're talking about is, is just a, it's a whole different, like it has changed and switched so much that you have to be on top of it. You have to know what tournaments will get you into the nationals because you, you, you want to play the better competition. You want to advance as a player. You want to always uh, uh, make sure you're moving north, not south or east or west. Right. And, and you want to and, – and, and navigating that part of it is it's just like – it's just another part of the sport that we have to deal with as coaches, as parents, and as players. So – you got to sit down and make a plan as to why you're playing this tournament. What, what points will this give you? What uh, national ranking will this get you? Can you get into your national level twos and threes? Can you get into your national level ones? Do you want to play sectionals and just try to go get on high on the endorsement list 
as you can and try to get in with the, uh, the well, there's not going to be an endorsement list anymore. That's going away. Well, yeah, but if this passes, yes. Yeah. But there still will still be quotas. So yes. Right. So that's, that's just another part of it that it's confusing. It's, it's, it's a tough part of our sport, but it's just like, we're at the mercy of these decision makers. And sometimes you, you, you go backwards. Like uh, this person who, who I was talking about on the tour last year, like she spent so much money playing 15s and trying to get her ranking up. It was like a waste of money. And it's the same thing with the juniors. You, you don't know. I know like a couple of years ago when they switched the, the rule to like 20% of the points transfer up to the higher age group at nationally, that changed everyone's strategy. That changed my strategy. That changed uh, how I would guide a kid through, through the process of, of getting through the, the junior ranks and, and trying to play a level one national uh, uh, when, when they're ready as, as soon as possible, you know, you, mm-hmm. you want to play, you, these kids want to play the, the level one nationals. It's, it, they're prestigious events that the best of the best are there. And you've got to navigate through that point system of what will get you there uh, as you, uh, either way. And, and that's the key to the USTA navigating through that. There, they can change it. They can flip it. They can do this. But if you're not on it as a coach or a parent or a player, you can get lost in the shuffle and, and you might not play a level two national or, or, or a level one national till you figure it out when you're 16, 17. And, and then it's too late because everyone else already has their points. Right. You know? Right. But, but that being said, like at, at 12, 14, it's, it's development, development, development. It's, it's, it's long-term you gotta you gotta put the w's and l's on one side and and you gotta develop but that whole other side that you're talking about is it's just you have to be on it It, it's just critical not to get lost in the mix of the however it's set up you know what i'm saying so ken what is the coach's responsibility in all of this? I mean, you're working with these kids. Do you feel like it's your job to stay up on all of these ranking changes and, you know, entry changes and all of that and and communicate that with the families and then sit down together and develop a plan? Or do you rely on the the parents to keep up with that information and bring it to you to develop a plan. How does, how does that work for you? What do you, how do you see your role in all of that? Me personally, I am on top of it and I am with the parents, with the kids, making sure that this kid doesn't get ruined and lose opportunities because we don't know the system. You take away the, like everything I talked about developmentally. We, I had a kid and I had, here's an example. I had a kid and his parents, he was uh, uh, 13. And I said, he's, he was really developing. It's a great ball. I said, you have got to start uh, entering the level threes, level two national, so he can get points. So he can be eligible when he's in the higher and the next age group to get into the tournaments. Otherwise he won't get in. They didn't listen. They didn't listen. They didn't understand. And um, we had like four or five meetings. And now 
he can't get into a national, even though his level of play is, is way, way up there. He can't get into a national because he didn't navigate through the system properly. But I sit down with every parent, every kid, and we go over this to make sure this just doesn't happen. I mean, it, it, the kid, you, you're, you're so invested in each kid and each student and each, uh, and, and the parents and the family at, at our academy that I would feel horrible if, if the kid wasn't playing up to his potential or level because we didn't know the point system, because we didn't know what not playing this tournament would do six months down the road or a year down the road. And so, so let me ask you this question then, Ken. For a kid that is a very good player but is likely not going to be playing at a top D1 program, you know? Right. Does it really matter? Shouldn't they just be out there playing matches and getting better every day? Uh, I would say yes and no. I mean. I know we have a, we have kids who've who've gone to Division three programs, kids who have gone to Division two programs. Uh, I think that just depends on, on on the system. Like our system, if you come into our academy, you're you're pretty much shooting for a D one scholarship at minimum. You're you're. I've had a lot of kids who could have gone D one, but the offers they were getting from schools weren't as good academically as a D three program, and and they went D three. And uh, I don't know, like like just being out there playing and, and whatever. And then when you're 18, find out, Oh God, I could have done this. I could have done that. I, sh- I should have done this. I should have done that. That's, that's like the worst thing for me. It's, it, it's horrible. Uh, I would feel just terrible if, cause I've seen so many kids bloom late. I've seen so many kids get better later, mm-hmm. uh, just from playing the right way. And it's almost like there's an inverse relationship between the twelves and the eighteens of you could be a better kid in the twelves and, and, and go through the system and, and be top kid in the eighteens or whatever, but a lot of times the kids who win in the twelves aren't the kids who are winning in the eighteens. And the kids who are doing it right in the twelves and playing the right way and developing the developing properly, suddenly at eight at sixteen, seventeen, they're on top now. Mm-hmm. So you never like you, you can never tell what's inside the kid. You can never tell when he's going to bloom athletically, you can never tell. Uh, you, you can't tell those things. Like, so for yeah, at our place, we have kids who say they come there and say like, well, I just want to play high school tennis. And then they get in that environment and they're suddenly, okay, I want to be as good as I can be. And is it prodding by me? It's, it's more like a helping guiding hand of, of getting them through and, 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 you know, getting them to where they, they could be. They might not even even understand though anything about the system when they first show up at, at 10 or 11. I'm Lisa Stone, and you are listening to Season 8 of Parenting Aces. Welcome to the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone. Ken Giovara is one of those rare human beings who actually has found incredible success collegiately in two different sports, both basketball and tennis. And you'll hear him talk a little bit about that once we get into the podcast. But 
what he's doing now is running a tennis academy down in San Diego, California. He's coaching some top level juniors who are trying their hand both at the junior level and at the entry level pro events on the 15,000s, the 25,000s. And he travels the world and talks to players at all levels of the game and has some really interesting insights to share with us about what's happening with college tennis, what's happening with the World Tennis Tour and how it's impacting these players. And also we talk about navigating through the development pathway and the tournament structure as it's set up and what the coach's role is in all of that. So I think you're going to find this this uh, episode very interesting. Ken's, you know, he doesn't mince words. He's very outspoken and has very strong feelings about what's working and what's not working. And I think we all have a lot to learn by listening to him this week. Also, I wanted to thank all of you who have become members of ParentingAces.com, whether you've activated your free membership or you've gone with one of the paid options. And I hope you haven't been too frustrated with all of the bugs that we've been trying to work out as we implement this new system. It has been a bit crazy, but I do appreciate your patience and your support as we kind of transition into phase next of Parenting Aces. So thank all of you for that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, (laughs) just go to ParentingAces.com and you'll see information on our memberships and what they mean and what you get for uh, the different levels. So again, thank you to those of you who have signed up. And for those of you on the fence, I hope we can convince you to become a member too. The more the merrier. All right. Now it's time for my conversation with Ken Giovara. I want you to sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Parenting Aces. Ken Giovara, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. My pleasure. Happy to be here. So let's start by having you give the audience a little bit of information on your life in tennis, your background in the sport. Well, I I grew up in Connecticut. And uh, being in Connecticut, I only played tennis pretty much three months of the year and played all the other sports. In uh, 1984, I actually led the state of Connecticut in scoring in basketball and uh, was always a high-level, high-ranked junior player in the section of New England, but we just played during the summer. Uh, I went to play basketball at Northeastern University, which was led by, of course, Reggie Lewis. Uh, coach was Jim Calhoun, who went to UConn and won some national championships. So it was a pretty good program. We were at one point 11 in the country. Uh, after two years there, I started playing tennis again. I transferred to the University of Hartford on a tennis scholarship. I played uh, number one for my last two and a half years of uh, college. And after that, I tried to play some satellites for a while, probably for about uh, a year year and a half. And then uh, I I did this with my brother. My brother was up to about 700 in the world. He was a player of the decade in the Big South Conference in uh, 1980 to the 90s. So uh, the family played a lot of tennis. But again, we just just played pretty much three months a year. So after uh, uh, graduating college and playing the Pro Tour, I moved out to San Diego and I opened up a, a tennis academy. 
How come you quit playing professionally? Did you get injured or what happened uh, there? It was just, it was at that point to, uh, when I stopped playing tennis, when I was playing junior tennis, everyone had a wood racket and was like pushing their brains out. And I was very good, very athletic at running back and forth and getting the ball over the net with topspin. I played with a Western grip. Every single coach I had at that time tried to change it. Uh, so I was good at running down balls and keeping the ball in play. And then when I took those three years off to just dedicate myself to basketball and I came back to tennis, it was like Agassi hit the scene and, and, and the pace of the ball and the pace of the, the hit went up so much in terms of uh, pace and speed that I was just so far behind. I, 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 I just could not catch up to that level after taking that much time off. And even grinding as hard as I try to grind, it was just it was just too tough for me to to make it at that level, playing my style after gotcha. taking those three years off. Yeah, it was it was too hard. Yeah, the game just changed, and and yeah, I mean that's crazy. Um, and so now you have an academy in San Diego. You work with junior players, college players college bound junior players, <laughs> kind of the whole range. Right. Um, right. And you, I mean, you're working with your niece who's doing very well. Um, you're traveling all over the place with her. And so kind of how we got to talking to one another is all that's going on in the world of college tennis, especially with the new ITF, World Tennis Tour and what that's doing to college players, how it's impacting who can even have an opportunity to play in college. So why don't you give the audience a little bit of information on what you're seeing out there in the world of tennis? Okay. Well, first off, uh, yeah, we have a, a fairly big academy here. A lot, a lot of great players. Like you said, I, I work with my niece, Haley Giovara, who I think on tennis recruiting as a senior, she's 11 in the country right now. Uh, Blue chip can go to Cal. Uh, we're playing a lot of the 25,000s and, and uh, 60,000s and, and 15,000s. And she got her first top 300 WTA win a couple of weeks ago in Rancho Santa Fe. Um, work with Brandon Nakashima, who was one of the best juniors in the world. So our, our program is really, really good, really solid, really competitive, but navigating through like what you're talking about, it's, it's a very complex and, and tough to sometimes figure out how the best way to go through that part of it, not the forehands, not the backhands, not the footwork, not the tactics, just the whole other part of it of navigating a kid through it properly. I mean, just take Haley. When she was a freshman, you know, she went to traditional high school, played two other sports. When she was a freshman, she was probably 400 on tennis recruiting. Uh, but she wanted to go to four years high school and, and was going to develop later just for the game we were building. And then take a kid like Brandon, he was number one in every age group he played and all the higher age groups. So it could be done a multiple, in multiple ways, but everyone has to navigate through this other part of the sport, which is people get caught up and, and can't find their, the forest through the trees. They, they just can't figure it out. So, I mean, just basically with the, with the college thing, I, and the, and we started talking about why 
so many international players. Why aren't there so many American players? And just getting right into it, uh, you know, the the sport is becoming the collegiate sport. Division one is becoming way more international. I think uh, the facts the uh, last year the numbers were in the top twenty five women in the country. There were nineteen international players and six Americans. And for the men, there were 18 international players and uh, seven Americans. So I, I really started looking into this and, and doing some research. And basically, there, there are two rules that the NCAA has in terms of uh, eligibility requirements that, that kind of contradict, contradict themselves and are way more beneficial to an international student, international player. Uh, the first one is, once you enter high school, you have four years to graduate high school. And then after that, a tennis player can only take six months off after graduation. Every other sport is one year in, in Division I uh, athletics. Hockey, I believe, is two years. But, you know, that gives a kid a chance to mature, a chance to uh, grow up, a chance to make decisions. Uh, if you graduate early, what have you. But the six-month rule is if you play tournaments after those six months, you lose eligibility. You lose mat college matches that you could play, even if you are still a junior and only playing junior tournaments, not even professional tournaments. So that six-month rule is, is strict, and, and this was changed probably like six or seven years ago to stop interna more international players coming. And it was a year. But what happened was the exact opposite happened. Now, uh, tennis, men's and women's, is the, has the highest international uh, athletes that play in, in any of the sports. And, and the percentage keeps increasing every year where the uh, amount of international players just, just goes up and up. So I mean, the second part... Well, I was going to say, you can go to a Division One college match now between two different schools and there may not be a single American player on the court. That is a hundred percent correct. Yeah. And, and believe me, you can say the American system, you can say the American coaches, you can say all these things that, that we hear, which might be true, might not. But the, the fact of the matter is when, when I was doing my research and putting the numbers together, cause I was really perplexed by this was that, the international kids are coming in a year and three months older on average than the American kid for the, for the men, uh, for the women, and a year and four months older for the men. So the second part of the, the second rule for the NCAA eligibility is you have to enter your freshman year mm -hmm. before you turn 20 years old. So if you're an American, normal American kid, and you start high school at 14, you're going to be out of high school at 17 and a half, 18, 18 and a half. There's, even if you take the six months, you can't get to 20. Even if right. you're homeschooled or whatever, you just, you just can't do that by the numbers. So the international kids who are going homeschool and, and whatever, and you can play around with the, the graduation uh, date and everything, they come in right before they turn 20 after exhausting 
their resources and their potential on the pro tour and if they're going to make it or not. So that would, that is clearly the reason why the influx of international kids are, are overwhelming the division one system and taking the majority of scholarships. It's, it's not a level playing field for the American kids. I mean, at my Academy, if I see a kid who's going to be able to play division one tennis, I'm recommending to the parents that that kid should probably stay back in eighth grade before entering high school if they want a legitimate shot and not have their uh, scholarship taken away. You know, it's it's that it's it's not even a an ability thing. If you can come in a year and three or four months older at that in, in particularly tennis, because that's when you're you can go on the pro tour and do this. You can't do this in basketball or football or, or any other sport. But in tennis, those are professional playing years like literally professional playing years. And you can't fault the college coaches if they have a, a 19 and a half year old international kid who's been grinding at 15,000 and 25,000 and a USD 17, USDA 17 year old kid who's just been playing, you know, USTA level ones or even very high ranked, they're going to go with the, the older kid who, mm-hmm. who has more experience every single time. I mean, you got to be a pretty much a top, top, American on your tennis recruiting to to grab one of those coveted full rides that that the international kids are taking who are older and and that's the thing I'm talking about I'm not talking about the the coaching the players can some people get through I'm just saying this rule really doesn't make any sense at all I mean and so does the six does the six months only apply to American players Oh no! It it's supposed to apply to international players, but when these kids go homeschool internationally, they have a lot of wiggle room with uh, when they start, when they graduate. Uh, it, the systems are a little different, and some countries uh, also start high school later, so they're coming out later anyway. So so let's let's kind of make up an example here. So if you've got Let's say a kid in Serbia, for lack yep. of a better country. Okay, so you've got a kid in Serbia who knows that she wants to come to the States to play college tennis. So she may not document the start of her high school years until she's maybe 15 and a half, 16, 16 and a half. So that. Exactly. She goes four years, she comes out and she's 19 or 20. Then she's got an additional six months to go out and play professionally and still be eligible to come into a U.S. university as a true freshman. Exactly. A hundred percent. The Okay. The, the number one girl in the country right now came in at 19 in a, in a half, I believe. Almost, almost twenty. I believe her birthday was like in April, or maybe, yeah, like like Aprilish. But she came in and and she, I mean, as a freshman, she's she's a really good player. Uh, the number one college girl you're talking about. Yes, correct. She, okay. she came in at uh, so she'll graduate college at like twenty three and like three months, and that's pretty much impossible for any American under any circumstance to graduate at that age under this, under these rules, if you go four years straight. 
Right. Within four years. Right. 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 So what impact is this having? I mean, you go all over the world. You talk to players all over the world. What are you hearing out there from the international players and the American players? Well, when you talk to uh, the international players, well, first off, uh, within the last year, I traveled to uh, like nine 15,000, five 25,000, one 100,000, two USTA level ones, uh, a couple 60,000 with my players. So I'm really out there talking to the American players, the American parents, the American coaches, the international players, international parents, and uh, international coaches. I'm right, this is right in my wheelhouse where I have been for the past two years. And the international kids, they just think it's a, a complete joke. They think it's, 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 it's ridiculous. It's, it's, they get to stay out there and play way longer. And, and because there's so many more of those level tournaments in those countries and around those countries, they have so much more access to playing professional tennis earlier and, and, playing higher level competition. So when you said earlier, like what if an international kid with a idea of wants to play division one tennis there, these people, these kids, coaches, parents, they're really at, at 16, 17. It's I'm really going to try the pro tour for four years, three years and see if I can make it. And if not, I'm going to take a division one scholarship to a U.S. school and get a, and get a degree and play college tennis. Wow. So the planning yeah. starts pretty young. Yeah, no, it's just that's just the way it is. That's just the way it's set up. That that's just it. I mean, for an American kid, it's it's pretty tough for an American kid if you're going to play high high level tennis, college or professional or or really try it and uh not be homeschooled to go to tra- four-year traditional high school. The the better players are going to go homeschool where they can play more and compete with these, with these international kids. Uh, and it's, it's becoming more the norm to go homeschool than, than traditional school. Primar- not, I, I wouldn't say because of the six-month rule, but that has a huge impact on, on the decision too because you don't have any time. Even our top Americans you take uh, like our 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 better American girls like say they graduate high school and they're starting to do well in the pro tour say they're like 300 400 and and they're starting to make there's there's some girls out there are actually doing it and doing a fantastic job at it and for for the NCAA to say you know what under our rules you only have six months after you graduate to to give it a a legitimate shot I don't think it's even fair for our, for those players who who definitely would get a D1 scholarship anyway anywhere but to say to those those players you only have 6 months to really give it a shot you know and and you're only 17 18 at that age instead of a year or two years like the like the international kids I don't think it's fair to our our top top American players either that that's just another trickle down effect from this rule that is just it's not fair yeah, they're having to make a decision at a much younger age 
about what to do, basically, that's going to impact the rest of their lives. Exactly. Hmm. Interesting. So, I mean, the NCAA changes rules all the time, right? I haven't heard any talk about this rule being modified. Have you heard anything? I I never I never hear anything. I I have approached the ITA. I, I try to talk to them. It's just I just you just get stonewalled. The NCAA it's really tough to talk to them about this rule. Right. Uh, the the USTA people in our development program. I talk to them and, and they pretty much agree and 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 trying to get things done. But nothing has been done. It's it's also tough for a freshman just to take those six months off as a going into a freshman year in American because. Then you're coming into the spring season, and the fall has already been played. The lineup has pretty much been set. Uh, it's tough for a freshman American to go in after, take six months and go in, just socially, academically, uh, and, and as, as on the team also, you know? Right. Right. And, because, and, and, yeah, because the the relationships are formed, the you know, you, you often, if you start in January, you often get thrown into a housing situation that may not be ideal, um, because you just have to take what's available. Um, you don't have priority with registering for classes because your status as an academic is lower than those who started in the fall. I mean, there are all sorts of issues with that. And yeah, I mean, you know, talking with you about this, it, it seems to make so much more sense for there to to be a one-year grace period instead of forcing these kids to start mid-year with, with their university. Yeah, no one no one is going to start mid-year and say, okay, I'm just going to try pro tennis for six months and see what happens and then go into school in, in January. It's just They'll say, you know what, forget it. I'm just going to go go now in September. It, it makes much more sense for all the reasons that you just mentioned. So the, the better, the not, not so much the top top, but a lot of the right below that tier of the top top, they're just going to go as, as a freshman and when they're 17 and a half or, or 18, when, whenever they graduate high school, not even use the six months, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it's interesting because I know, you know, for the – for the top, top kids um, in the past, and I don't know if this is still the case, but in the, in the recent past, you know, USTA has really gone after those kids to turn pro, to skip college and to turn pro. Um, And, and, you know, USTA's job is, you know, as they see it, at least at player development is, is to get more Americans in the second week of the U S open. So, the more kids they have turning pro, the bigger the pot they have to to develop. And, you know, hopefully somebody's going to break out and do really well. So, I mean, I get that. Um, so it seems to me that USTA might not be so interested in changing this rule, that it really helps these kids make that decision if it's a decision of turning pro right out of high school or having to start university halfway through the first year. Right. I don't know. It, 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 well, it's really, it's a dicey, it, it's a tough thing. Like, like, you know, I know the girls who are 17, 18, who are just all in saying I'm turning pro and this is my decision. And 
you know, I see them all every week out there. And then you see the ones who are, well, I don't know. I'm going to give this a try, see what happens, and then make my decision when, when my eligibility runs out and I, I have to make a decision. You, you, you see it. I mean, just from my niece's perspective, like she was totally a late bloomer. You know, she wasn't on the, the USTA's radar as a 12, 12 and under, 14 under, 16 and under, you know, whatever. But she's a late bloomer and she could, she's someone who could really benefit from, from that year. And I, I'm not even sure the year is the solution because then it could still be, the numbers could still be fudged around. I think, like, I've given this some thought, and I think that the solution is that if tennis is, you know, juniors, whatever, is an age-based sport, I think the NCAA should just make it a age-based decision when your mm-hmm. eligibility runs out. If you're 20 years, before your 20th birthday, you have to be enrolled in college. This way, it's, that's it. That levels the playing field for everyone. There's no ambiguity. There, there's no speculation. There's no getting around this, getting around that. It's, it's you take away the six month rule or the year rule and you just make it by the time you're whatever, 19 or 20, you have to be enrolled in college. And, and, and that's the rule that that takes away everything. And then at least everyone's on the same playing field, you know, interesting. And, and I think that's, that's the only way to go because this is just not fair. It's just, you can, been it any way you want, but just the age thing, it, it's just not fair for the American kids. It, it really mm-hmm. isn't. Mm-hmm. And so how is the new ITF World Tennis Tour impacting all of this? Because now it's, let's say the kid does take the six months and they're trying to get into events. They're really having a hard time getting into events. Yeah. The, <laughs> the, the six, the the ITF, the World Tour, in my opinion, and and I'm out there at this level and the and the level above the 25s, the 60s. It, I just cannot believe what is going on. It's it's everyone's talking about the uh, the shorter the shortened qualifying spots, which is a a gigantic a gigantic deal. I mean, you you take away all those qualifying spots. And uh, uh, obviously, fewer people are going to have the opportunity to play. You're talking but, about the draw sizes, the smaller draw sizes the, the, for quality. The qualifying draw sizes, yeah. They, they okay. knocked them down. Like right. last year, you'd go to a 15, it'd be a 64. Everyone would get in, you know, to the qualities, which was mm-hmm. great because you had no points. You can say, okay, I'm going here. I'm going to Israel. I'm going to Greece. I'm going to, to Sweden, and I'm getting in. I, I know I'm getting in, Okay. Now, it's, if you have no, if you don't have any uh, world tour points or WTA points, it, it's really tough to break through. It's 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 tough to get to get into these tournaments. Uh, but with that being said, and that's what everyone's harping on the the draw size. For me, what they did with the rankings last year, and and what they did was they took away all ATP or WTA points for the women for the WTA points for the women that were earned at 15,000 and for the men 15 and 25. So what that did for all those men and women who are out there, her grinding, uh, I had one player who had 12 WTA singles points, but they're all at 15,000. So she was about, uh, 980 on the WTA tour uh, computer. They take those points away 
And then players who only had three WTA points, but they earned them at a 25,000, suddenly jumped to 700 in the world without playing a match or, or anything. So if you earned all your points at 15,000 or the majority of your points, you got crushed. And those are the people who are just like, don't know what to do. So the, the WTA rule is that you have to earn at least one WTA point in three different tournaments or 10 points at one tournament to be on the WTA computer. So all those players who were on the, the computer last year from earning their points at 15s, they got totally wiped out and had a, and, and pretty much you have to start over, but these girls can't get into the 25s anymore. Right. So all the girls who were ranked like 1200 last year, but had three WTA points because they got them at a uh, 25K. They don't, you don't even have to win a match. If you're in the main draw of a, a 25K, you get automatically get one WTA point. So they could have got wild cards or what have you. And if they were 1200 and had three points, they jumped to 850 now on the WTA tour. So those players are all ahead on the acceptance list. And the acceptance list is, is gold. That's how you get into these tournaments. So what's happening, and uh, getting back to the point of, of who's getting in and how it's impacting, is that the girls who are, say, like 24 years old, 25 years old, 26 years old, 27, 28, who have been out there on the tour for a while and, and did have some WTA points last year, they're getting richer because now all the other players were taken out. So they jumped up 300, 400 spots on the computer and can get into the 25s and keep getting points. So it's the girls and boys who are just coming out of college who have to start from zero. There's no way you're going to get into a 25 without, without a ranking. It, it, it'd be pretty, pretty tough. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to go try to get a world tour ranking to get into the 25s. So that for me is like the, the craziest part of the, the whole deal. The trying to navigate yourself through the pathway of what has to be done. It, it, it's really difficult in terms of how these players got a magical bump, how these players were taken out. And if you went to the men's 15,000 or a men's 25,000 last year or a women's 15,000, it's the same players who are playing the higher level tournaments who are playing the, the 15s or 25s for the men and the 15s for the women. It was the same pool of players. It wasn't like a different pool of players. And if you were ranked, you know, higher than 800, you couldn't play 15,000. Everyone was playing every tournament, the 15s and the 25s. Do you, under, do you know what I'm saying? Right, right. So it's like, if you just were able to get into a 25 and, and get a point or get your points, then that was a great position to be in. I mean, I had one player who ended up after the points transferred, she was like 300 on the world tour ranking and she couldn't get into a tournament, a 25 uh, until March of this year. So it was like, you're on a total holding. It was like, you're going backwards. Right. And now the players are trying to determine but like it's a mess out there. Now the players are trying to determine, determine should I go and play 15,000 and try to get into the top 120, 150 of the world tour rankings, which will get me into a 25, 
which the numbers are, are lower. Like you have to be top, at least top 100 to get into the one of those five open spots that they give you. Or do I just keep trying to get into these 25s? It's, it's no one really knows what to do and, and how the decisions are made. And it's just, it's, it's a total mess out there. So, I mean, this is all paralleling what's going on with the proposed USTA junior comp structure where there are going to be two rankings and you have to make a decision about which ranking list you're going to focus on because you can't focus on both. And are you going to gamble and try and be at the top of the real ranking list? Or are you going to gamble and play in your section and hope that you get to the top of that, that kind of second level ranking list, which is still being called an NSL, but it's based on your sectional play and your national play where the real NSL is based only on national play. I mean, it's so confusing and it sounds like what's going on there and what's going on with the world tennis tour all starts with the fact that there's two rankings that you have to figure out how to navigate. Uh, yes. The navigating through the, uh, the USTA system, uh, it, it's a little bit different for me. I think the priority when you're, when I have a kid who's, who's 12, 10, 12, 14, whatever, like at our academy, we really focus on development, technical development, uh, and, and what's going to be best for the kid when they're 17, 18 down the road. And I've lost a lot of kids because they're not winning in the 12s or, or, or 14s as much as uh, other places. But at that age, we, we really, you really got to focus on the development, developmental side of, of, of what's happening with, with the kids. And navigating the part that you're talking about is, is just a, it's a whole different, like it has changed and switched so much that you have to be on top of it. You have to know what tournaments will get you into the nationals because you, you, you want to play the better competition. You want to advance as a player. You want to always uh, uh, make sure you're moving north, not south or east or west. Right. And, and you want to and, – and, and navigating that part of it is it's just like – it's just another part of the sport that we have to deal with as coaches, as parents, and as players. So – you got to sit down and make a plan as to why you're playing this tournament. What, what points will this give you? What uh, national ranking will this get you? Can you get into your national level twos and threes? Can you get into your national level ones? Do you want to play sectionals and just try to go get on high on the endorsement list as you can and try to get in with the, uh, the well, there's not going to be an endorsement list anymore. That's going away. Well, yeah, but if this passes, yes, yeah, but there still will still be quotas. So, yes, right. So that's that's just another part of it that it's confusing. It's 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 a tough part of our sport, but it's just like we're at the mercy of these decision makers, and sometimes you 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 go backwards. Like uh, this person who who I was talking about on the tour last year, like 
she spent so much money playing 15s and trying to get her ranking up. It was like a waste of money. And it's the same thing with the juniors. You, you don't know. I know like a couple of years ago when they switched the, the rule to like 20% of the points transfer up to the higher age group at nationally, that changed everyone's strategy. That changed my strategy. That changed uh, how I would guide a kid through, through the process of, of getting through the, the junior ranks and, and trying to play a level one national uh, uh, when, when they're ready as soon as possible, you know, you, mm-hmm. you want to play, you, these kids want to play the, the level one nationals. It's, it, they're prestigious events that the best of the best are there. And you've got to navigate through that point system of what will get you there uh, as you, uh, either way. And, and that's the key to the USTA navigating through that. There, they can change it. They can flip it. They can do this. But if you're not on it as a coach or a parent or a player, you can get lost in the shuffle and, and you might not play a level two national or, or, or a level one national till you figure it out when you're 16, 17. And, and then it's too late because everyone else already has their points. Right. You know? Right. But, but that being said, like at, at 12, 14, it's, it's development, development, development. It's, it's, it's long term. You gotta you gotta put the W's and L's on one side, and and you gotta develop. But that whole other side that you're talking about is, it, it's just you have to be on it. it. It's just critical not to get lost in the mix of the however it's set up. You know what I'm saying? So can. What is the coach's responsibility in all of this? I mean, you're working with these kids. Do you feel like it's your job to stay up on all of these ranking changes and, you know, entry changes and all of that and and communicate that with the families and then sit down together and develop a plan? Or do you rely on the the parents to keep up with that information and bring it to you to develop a plan. How does, how does that work for you? What do you, how do you see your role in all of that? Me personally, I am on top of it and I am with the parents, with the kids, making sure that this kid doesn't get ruined and lose opportunities because we don't know the system. You take away the, like everything I talked about developmentally. We, I had a kid and I have, here's an example. I had a kid in his parents. He was uh, uh, 13. And I said, he's, he was really developing. It's a great ball. I said, you have got to start uh, entering the level threes, level two national. So he can get points. So he can be eligible when he's in the higher and the next age group to get into the tournaments. Otherwise he won't get in. They didn't listen. They didn't listen. They didn't understand. And I'm, we had like four or five meetings. And now he can't get into a national, even though his level of play is, is way, way up there. He can't get into a national because he didn't navigate through the system properly. But I sit down with every parent, every kid, and we go over this to make sure this just doesn't happen. I mean, it, it, the kid... You're you're so invested in each kid and each student and each uh, in in the parents and the family at, at our academy that I would feel horrible if if the kid wasn't playing 
up to his potential or a level because we didn't know the point system, because we didn't know what not playing this tournament would do six months down the road or a year down the road. So, So let me ask you this question then, Ken. For a kid that is a very good player but is likely not going to be playing at a top D1 program, you know? Right. Does it really matter? Shouldn't they just be out there playing matches and getting better every day? Uh, I would say yes and no. I mean, I, I know we have a, we have kids who've, who've gone to Division three programs, kids who have gone to Division two programs. Uh, I think that just depends on, on, on the system. Like our system, if you come into our academy, you're, you're pretty much shooting for a D1 scholarship at minimum. You're, you're, I've had a lot of kids who could have gone D1, but the offers they were getting from schools weren't as good academically as a D3 program, and, and they went D3. And uh, I don't know, like, like just being out there playing and, and whatever, and then when you're 18, find out, oh, God, I could have done this, I could have done that, I, sh- I should have done this, I should have done that. That's, that's like the worst thing for me. It's, it, it's horrible. Uh, I would feel just terrible if, because I've seen so many kids bloom late. I've seen so many kids get better later mm-hmm. uh, just from playing the right way. And it's almost like there's an inverse relationship between the 12s and the 18s of you can be a better kid in the 12s and, and, and go through the system and, and be top kid in the 18s or whatever. But a lot of times the kids who win in the 12s aren't the kids who are winning in the 18s. And the kids who are doing it right in the 12s and playing the right way and developing the developing properly, suddenly at eight at 16, 17, they're on top now. Mm-hmm. So you never like you, you can never tell what's inside the kid. You can never tell when he's going to bloom athletically. You can never tell. Uh, you, you can't tell those things. Like so, for at our place, we have kids who say they come there and say like, "Well, I just want to play high school tennis," and then. They get in that environment and they're suddenly, okay, I want to be as good as I can be. And is it prodding by me? It's, it's more like a helping guiding hand of, of getting them through and, 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 you know, getting them to where they, they could be. They might not even, even understand the, anything about the system when they first show up at, at 10 or 11. And you, you got to, if you're, I don't know, if you're in a coach, you have an academy, you've got to, you got to do everything you can. You got to understand everything. You got to be educated in all this material to just for the kid. And I mean, just out of curiosity, how do you educate yourself? Because I mean, <laughs> from, from what I've seen, the coaching organizations, the certifying organizations don't teach this stuff. No. No, you have to, you have to really care about, about what you're doing and you have to care about the kids because all the information is out there. All the rules aren't hidden. The pathways aren't hidden. The, the, uh, structures aren't hidden. Everything's out there. So you just have to, you have to be on it. You have to, you also have to have an eye of, you know, when the kid's ready to do this tournament, you know, when he's ready to play this tournament, you know, what's holding him back here. You just, you have to be on it. I mean, I'm on the, 
don't know, I probably drive my wife crazy because I'm on the computer looking at this stuff all all night and and, and figuring it out and, and trying to see how to get around it and what what's the best terms for you know our our 50 players individually to to play and, and where they should be and what their goals are for next year. So I don't know the the information's out there. You just it's a lot of work, but I know if you're going to get into this coaching business and you're going to go at it a hundred percent, it's just, it's just what you have to do. How is UTR? Yeah. How is UTR impacting all of this in your experience, both at the junior level, both at the junior level and the professional level? UTR. Well, uh, my, opinion of UTR was first off the people at UTR are just amazingly good at marketing and and running a business like what they've been able to accomplish in such a a short time in this especially the United States tennis market it's just been it's just been mind-boggling to me it's 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 amazing at what how much of a chunk of the 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 tennis world they've taken from their system it, it it it's amazing to me and uh my opinion of, of the of UTRs it started as a rating system if Joe wants to play Frank they have this little rating and they can find you a match wherever they want in the country and you can always find the player correct correct that and now they've segued into uh seedings at tournaments are based on your UTR rating, the USDA tournament. And they run their, their own tournaments. Like they have tournaments in Southern California, San Diego, where it's a decision. Should I play a USDA tournament or should I play the UTR this weekend? And I'm like, you know, with no, no bias, no, no, whatever. I'm thinking, well, you know, even to be thinking that there's a choice, the USTA were ranking and playing level one nationals and, and playing level twos. I'm even like, you know, making a choice in my head. Well, which one would be better? It just shows how the UTR, the UTR has just wedged themselves into the, to the tennis world. It's, it, it, it's amazing. I, I don't, as far as the, the rating system, the ranking, the algorithm they use, I don't know. Uh, um, to me, tennis is based on wins and losses, and to be rewarded for playing close matches and being uh, downgraded for for losing to someone uh, lower than you, like that doesn't make sense. I, I mean, I had a player who we she played a fifteen thousand in Israel, lost in the quarters of singles, lost in the semis of doubles, flew on the red eye to Sweden to play the qualifying the next day, played a girl who was maybe uh, a uh, point and a half below her on no sleep, no horrible food, went out there, loses uh, indoors, and Israel was outdoors, fast surface, different surface, goes out there, wins the match, but it goes three sets, and she actually gets downgraded on UTR. Mm-hmm. To me, to me, that is, it just, it makes no sense. Like if we're going to look at this as a, a ranking system now, 
that makes no sense to me. Is it is it a rating? Is it a match rating deal? Or are now we're going, the USDA is going by UTR ranking. Are we starting to go by UTR rankings? I, I don't know like where it's going to go, but to me, to be, to play a close match against someone who's not as ranked high as you and you're sick and you're tired and you're grinding and you're fighting through and you win the match and then you get docked for winning the match, that just doesn't sit well with me. That doesn't make sense to me. It just doesn't. But what they've done as a business, I'm telling you, like some USDA tournaments use all factor seating methods and they take in your UTR. Mm-hmm. And, and another problem I have with it is that if you're just playing junior events, your UTR is, is around the junior events. If you live in uh, just a weaker section as compared to a stronger section, it, it, it seems like if, I don't know, just an example, like a nine UTR in SoCal plays a nine UTR from a weaker section. And then the nine from SoCal always ends up winning easily, you know? So I don't even know how, I don't know how that works. I know like when these junior players start to play on the, uh, the 15,000s and they're a high UTR from their juniors playing other juniors. And then they go up and play a pro who's not as high as them. Like pretty much the, the, the pro who has the experience in playing bigger matches and at a higher level, they usually win that match. So I don't know if it's a perfect algorithm or, or for a ranking system, for, for a, a seating system, for, uh, for things like that. But I don't know, people are, people are on board college coach. Some college coaches swear by it. Some, some don't, some, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just amazing. Like what they've been able to do to me in the, uh, the tennis industry. I mean, like tennis recruiting used to be before UTR tennis recruiting that, that made a lot of inroads, but UTR is just like a, it's like a tidal wave. It's just completely <laughs> it's, it's those guys like marketing and and what they've done to to come into this sport and and take a chunk out like they have. It's just you know it's it's amazing. It's it's just I don't even know what to think about it. I don't even I don't even know. I just know like I, I have like I, if someone says my UTR is this, I have it in my mind of the level they're at and and whatever. I don't know. Does that mean he's losing close matches to better players? Does that mean he's uh, beating players he's better than by a lot? Like it's 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 just a, like it, it does it, as a coach from my perspective. I don't even I don't even you know it, it, I I can feel I I more like feel the number of where they are and I can I can see where that person is level wise. It's not okay. This guy's going to beat this guy every time because he's high right. ATR or whatever. It, sure. It doesn't, it doesn't do that. I mean, and when you're on the the circuit, the only thing that matters, you know, is like ATP and WTA. Right. WTA, that, that's it. Are you getting points or not? No one at that level is really concerned about, about UTR. They're all fighting for, for the points. But it, sure. they have done an, an amazing job of, of, of getting through. I don't I – don't, I I've never seen anything like it. I, I mean it- – when they, well, when they, they, it's all tennis people. I mean, the marketing team's not, but the the masterminds behind UTR are all tennis people. So, right. you know, they, they know the sport well. And 
Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, definitely things changed in 2018 when, um, when they got the big VC money and, you know, the company went in a a little different direction, but, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens, um, moving forward now. All right. We're coming to the end of our hour, Ken. So I just want to make sure I give you an opportunity to, Promote your academy a little bit. Tell people how they can get in touch with you if they want to come work with you. Are you doing summer camps? Blah, blah, blah. So take it away. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm on the road traveling with a WTA player right now, and I'm, I'm home when I'm home. Uh, we have a uh, offer uh, academy-type structure every every day, winter, summer, spring, fall. Uh, we're online, GIVAR Tennis Academy, G-I-A-V-A-R-A. We're in San Diego. We're at a, a Hilton Hotel. We're beautiful accommodations and uh, private lessons. We have an amazing coaching staff, and, and there's really high-level players to uh, to hit with, and it's just uh, really structured well, and you're always going to get a, a workout when you come out. Awesome. We, so we have, top, we have top players from the country come out all the time, and uh, especially, uh, you know, like we have the, the girls hard courts here and it, it's packed with all through the year with, with, with top players. Fantastic. So we'll have a link to that website in the show notes on parentingaces.com. So listeners make sure to check that out. Ken, if people have questions for you, is there a good way for them to reach you? Yeah, they can, they can call me. I, should I get my phone number right now? Absolutely. 858-354-9220. Or they can go on giovartennisacademy.com uh, and they can just shoot me an email. Perfect. And I'll have, again, all that information in the show notes. Are there any last words of wisdom you'd care to share before we sign off here? Uh, I think we've covered a, we've covered a lot. We hit a lot. We of, did. Lot, a lot of different things. And I think... Uh, one of the things that you brought up about the the navigating through the system, I, I think it's, I think that's a, something that's not talked about enough, and it's a critical critical element in in junior uh, tennis USTA. I think you you really have to understand it, and you have to navigate through that because you could be a great player, and if you're not navigating through that, you could be really left behind. So I'm really, really glad we, we talked about that. I'm glad you brought that up. So just keep, keep developing, keep playing, keep, keep working, keep listening to the people that are, are doing the most for you and, and just, just try to develop and try to be the best player you can possibly be. Fantastic. Well, Ken Giovara, thank you so much for coming on the podcast this week. It's been a real treat to talk with you. And to my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, I hope you'll share the podcast with your tennis community. For all the information you need to navigate the junior and college tennis journey, be sure to check out ParentingAces.com.